Welcome to the Art of Holiness podcast, where we are creating conversations and communities that expose the kingdom of God. This is a New Room Network podcast. Here are your hosts, Carolyn Moore and Pierce Drake. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Art of Holiness podcast. It's so good to be with you as we release an episode every week, except for the ones that we don't. So it's been a few weeks and uh, excited to be back as we kind of turn our ships, turn our focus a little bit over the next few weeks uh, to bring in on some guests that are friends, obviously, but also getting ready for New Room Conference um, happening just in a few weeks in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. So Carolyn, it's good to be back with you. It seems amazing that New Room is, uh, we're on the verge of New Room again. I can't believe it. It was like yesterday, and now here we're going to do it again, and I'm very excited. Last year, we had the chance for the first time to just kind of have the run of the house interviewing some of the main stage uh, speakers for New Room, and we're going to do the same thing this year, and I'm just really excited for it, Pierce. Oh, I can't wait. Talk about a year of change. Yeah. I mean, our listeners have heard the story, but like, yeah, last year at New Room, where I was in our journey and mm-hmm. the, like going through a call and figuring out what God was doing next to now a year yeah. later in Texas, been here for four and a half months uh, right? and uh, and now heading back, you know. And so anyway, yep. excited, excited, excited. A friend of mine, one of my really good friends that I've met over the last year, uh, her name is Susan Kent. She's a pastor at the Woodlands Methodist Church. I get the honor to work alongside of her. We were talking the other day and she had this comment, which just got me thinking. She said, what's the question that I need to be asking God as I go into new room? Mm. What's the question that I need to carry into new room, knowing that that's just a place for for so many of us that we go in anticipating. We know we're in company of friends and family. And so we go in anticipating God to do something new and and God to answer and God to meet us and to God. Right. And that's, that's a beautiful question. And I am struggling so hard right now, biting my lip, because I know the question she needs to go in the new room with. It's, okay, well, it's, I'll let you text her later. Don't bring No, no, I will tell you now. It's, it's where do I get Carolyn Moore's new book? Okay. Where's the bookstore? There or it is. The, there's that's the question. The, that's right. Because if you're at new room, you get you get when women lead a That's week right. before it launches to Come the rest on. of the world. So, yeah, yeah so Susan, really, pretty much that's the only question. That's the only question. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Carolyn, you have written a new book. We've teased it yeah. a little bit, When Women Lead. And yeah. in a few weeks, we're going to have a conversation just with you, um, hearing you break down that book. But just give us, you can go ahead and pre-order it on Amazon, just in case you're not going to be at New Room. Mm-hmm. That way it's delivered on the day that it mm-hmm. comes out. But just in case, uh, give us a little snippet of what it is about when women lead. Yeah. Well, let me just say, if you pre-order on Seedbed, you actually get um, a couple of free chapters in advance. You get a conversation with me and J.D. Walt, mm. and you get $20 off of, uh, of a um, class with... Uh, it's going to be a new room class that starts in October and a six week Wednesday night class just on what happens when women lead. And so I'm kind of excited for just all the ways that we can make this book available and not the book, but you know, the information just Mm -hmm. here's what happens 
when women lead and how we can help women to um to 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 lead from a place of joyfulness and fruitfulness love it love it yeah so today we're talking to one of an, an amazing uh female leader in in the global church of jesus christ the reverend dr joanne lyon is general superintendent emerita and ambassador of the wesleyan church which is a great title for the role she plays naturally and not just on behalf of her own tribe but for the whole church of jesus christ she is i mean truly Joanne is a gift to us all. Dr. Lyon also serves on the executive committee of the National Association of Evangelicals, one of many organizations she serves. And she's the founder and CEO of World Hope International, which is an organization she formed to direct faith-based relief from suffering and injustice in over 30 countries around the world. I mean, wow. just what an amazing and fruitful woman. So in addition to all of that, she speaks daily into the lives of those just stepping into ministry. She is a true elder in the church, and that's why we wanted to talk to her. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation with Reverend Dr. Joanne Lyon. Well, Joanne, thank you for being with us today. And uh, I got to tell you, this is a fun little connection um that you have no idea about but uh my little girl is three years old and her middle name is joe and uh and she's named after my grandmother joanne and so there's just some there's i've i've only known i've I've two legitimately only known three joes or joannes and my grandmother my daughter and i have known of you and read your stuff for a long time and so very thankful for you um so Yeah. So she, my daughter's got big company and big shoes to fill, especially with, yeah. her, with grandmama, <laughs> with grandmama as well. Uh, so here's where, I, here's where I'd love to start. I'd love to start with the word evangelical. What, uh-huh. does it, what does it mean today to you, to the culture? And can it be defined as widely as folks define it these days? Can anybody be evangelical? Unpack that word for us a little bit. I know evangelical has lost its, its roots. And uh, actually, I wrote a chapter in a book along with Martin All and some others uh, three or four years ago with IVP called the the um, uh, scandal. Uh, the state, the state of the evangelical church, and then I mean the state of the evangelical mind. And then my chapter was on the state of the evangelical church. Hmm. And uh, so I, I thought, okay, this word evangelical, where did it first come from? So I began to look it up. And the original definition of evangelical comes to the etymological roots in the Greek word for gospel or good news. Now, we know that one. This means life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then Phil Johnson has said that the first published use of evangelical in English came in 1531. Wow. When William Tyndale wrote, he exhorted them to proceed constantly in the evangelical truth. One year later, Sir Thomas More produced the earliest recorded use in a reference to a theological distinction when he spoke of Tyndale and his evangelical and his evangelical brother Barnes. Wow. So it's an old term, uh, which literally means the good news is what it what it obviously we know it from the Greek, but even then in, in the fifteen hundreds it was used as the good news. Um and then, of course, when you go to Europe, 
there's the difference between a Catholic and Protestant is that or is used evangelical or if you're in a country with a state church and you have to pay state tax to that state church you can go to the courthouse and say you are not Lutheran if it happens to be on that side of Germany uh, and you don't want to pay state tax to the Lutheran church and you're an evangelical then you don't have to pay the state tax so it becomes even more more wow. just simple like that so that's uh, that's the the beginning of the word evangelical but I want to say then as we've moved it on down as we here in the United States as we move uh, regarding the modern the modernist split uh, in uh, uh, around the 1920s and whatever uh, evangelical became a word that was used then in that context uh, so it it did it never had political uh, connotations or part mm -hmm. of I should say more better partisan political connotations because if you want to just use the pure word of of, of uh, political then when my my foremothers and forefathers were abolitionists so mm -hmm. if you want to use that word in political yes they did political things because they were trying to set justice straight in the country mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't partisan it was the issue uh, so what's happened now I think in the 70s 80s as we moved along that word became associated with certain political positions mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the good news of the gospel mm. now that has grown uh, uh that word has grown then more uh in the last few years uh, into a partisan political uh, uh now it's a it's a it's a political block it's a right. voting block uh right. which has moved totally away from what the good news was about um so it's hard you know i uh, i happen to be the vice chair of the board of the national association of evangelicals well you know we can't change our name <laughs> that's just that's <laughs> so right. so we're having, we're having to live with that but really trying to redefine and live that out what is the good news of the gospel right uh, and um so that's um that's that that that's kind of where we are these days with that word and many people and i have nothing i have no uh criticism of anyone who's chosen not to use that word just simply mm -hmm. because of how it's been um how it's been labeled uh, yes, so that, it, that you don't believe in the good news for sure yeah it's really interesting like there's a whole obviously movement and culture especially with our younger generations identifying themselves against the word evangelical right identifying themselves as ex-evangelicals right, and exactly. you know that's in a lot of their bios and the different places mm -hmm. and the things and the principles they stand on yeah it has nothing to do with the good news of the gospel it's right. all against the partisan politics um and, right. and different things like that and so as you look forward and the future of that word as a term what do you see the future of that term as a culture and hopefully as a worldview as as a leader in this movement? Well, I would like to hope that we could live out uh, and what the definition really is, uh, and uh, and 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 in, in how we lead and what we say, how we live, it would redefine that word. Mm -hmm. uh, I I just don't know. I mean, I I'm not a prophet here, so I'd like to think that it could. Uh, I mean, I, I intend to. I just intend to to live and say no. I'm 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 not. This isn't about politics. This is about the good news of the gospel that brings hope and brings clarity and brings justice 
yeah. and and speaking for so i think part of this and and is reaching people for jesus is evangelism too evangelical is evangelism mm-hmm. and, uh, so it's reaching people that's what it means is reaching people for jesus um so it's so if we can somehow begin to to say how that and yes it is about god wants all every person to flourish so it's about uh, multi-ethnicity and how we live together and how we show the gospel alive in us as we sh- live together in that uh mm-hmm. racial reconciliation kinds of things it's that's what the, that's that's the gospel living out in us that's the and mm-hmm. i want to say also the one thing i think we need to not forget we need to talk about the power of the holy spirit mm-hmm. it's the power of the holy spirit that does this yes. uh and uh uh so when we go back historically, when I go back to my historical folks regarding abolition, I mean, there were all night prayer meetings before the abolitionists went down south, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 they were sanctified, you know, <laughs> they, they had to stand up and say they'd been sanctified. Right. You know? so, so it was about the power of the spirit. That's what I long to see, mm-hmm. that the power of the spirit begin and we begin to see move into areas of evil and we see mm-hmm. evil overcome by the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, so that's, I think that will help redefine the evangelical. It may not, but mm-hmm. I think, I think as we live it out rather than argue about it, uh, right. it, it, it could begin to do that. So you have a wide experience uh, just personally of seeing um, the evangelical church at work you you have been the general supervisor for a major denomination the wesleyan church you're you're also involved at the national level with churches and ministries across many denominations and tribes that are um, that that most closely align with evangelical values Mm -hmm. so so tell me conventional wisdom tells us that evangelicalism is not attracting young adults it's Mm -hmm. what pierce just he just right. referenced this. What has been your experience? Where I see young adults attracted, authenticity, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so being authentic. And as we are followers of Jesus, uh, personally and socially, uh, and are authentic, uh, mm-hmm. that attracts this, mm-hmm. this generation, Pierce's mm-hmm. generation and younger. Mm-hmm. It's the authenticity of it. And it right. is that I'm going to carry a banner about some social issue. Uh, but it, and you may, I'm not saying that's against that, but it's more than carrying a banner. It's being with the people. It's yeah. dealing with that. It's yeah. living with the people in those kinds of contexts. Uh, and it's about the light in the darkness. And so it's, it's, it's living this totally out. Uh, so I think that's what, what I'm seeing is in, uh, and sometimes our language gets in the way they would never probably want to say oh i would never probably say to one of my young friends oh now you're an evangelical you know no you're just a follower yeah. of jesus you know right. yeah. <laughs> now someday that may get yeah. i don't know but it's about <laughs> being authentic followers of jesus in every part of what scripture talks about Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk globally then. How how's the evangelical movement received or or being lived out in other countries? Well, I see that uh, very strongly uh, in other countries, and um, um, you know, I mean, I, I, let let me just give you an example in in a very difficult 
uh, place. I was very involved in Sierra Leone, West Africa during their war. Uh, and it was one of the most brutal wars uh, that has been known. Mm -hmm. It was not tribal, it was about power. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so the way the rebels marked their territory was cut off people's arms, legs, etc. cetera. Uh, and, uh, and so the, the Wesleyan church, but also the Methodist church, very strong early in, in, um, uh, in Sierra Leone. Um, and so I saw people, you know, it was, I mean, I, I could give you many, many examples, but I just saw in the midst of this pain and suffering and hopelessness, there was still this, this praise of God. So I, I, I went to one of the refugee camps. I mean, it was a horrible refugee camp. They just really set it up. It wasn't a, a regular one, set it up. And uh, I was walking in and I was coming across uh, terrible, it was dry. And so the sand and dirt was up over my, my ankles. And I knew the rainy season was soon gonna come, which that's what that, that would even be worse. And I'm complaining to the Lord, this is terrible, Lord, why are you? And, and I knew the people I was getting ready to see. These were pastors. These were people educated in the States. These were people educated in the UK. These were people who were illiterate. I mean, the whole the whole thing. And these are your people who love you. And and as I got closer to that place where, I, where they had said I was to meet them, there were hundreds there. I heard this little singing, uh, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. And I wanted to say, I think I'm losing my mind. And I don't believe we serve a very mighty God. I'm just being really honest about what was going on in my spirit at that time. And they had run through their for their lives through the bush to get across into Guinea over in the next country. And as I got closer, that's exactly what they were singing. Hundreds of them. And they made a little uh, shaped, uh, you know, like we would call a brush arbor today. But the brush arbor couldn't begin to hold them all around hundreds and hundreds and they were singing what a mighty god we serve and then they broke into our god is so great there's nothing our god can't do and there was no hope there i mean this war was raging they'd lost everything at home were they even going to get back home here they are on the border of sierra leone and guinea out in the middle of nowhere where you know not even a sat phone could even make it there and uh and that's what they were singing and i'm telling you um i still cry because I walked in and I had to first repent of my lack of faith and my anger with God. Why? And I love these people. I knew them, many of them, and there I love them like my own family. And so when I walked in, then they had a little pulpit they'd shaped out of some sticks and some brush and and wanted me to say something. And I thought, what in the world can I say? And I stood up. And when I stood up, I saw in the corner of this little pulpit that the pastor who was leading that day uh, had laid. It was a worn Bible, a tattered hymn book, and a book by Henry Nouwen, Learning to Love in a Foreign Land. <laughs> now, how Henry Nouwen got to that refugee camp, I have no idea. And I looked at that and I thought, here are people, they're gonna, this is, this is truly the sanctifying power of the love of Christ flowing from these people, not knowing what they're gonna do. That's what, that's, that's what's happening. Wow. And um, uh, and I'll never forget the words said to me uh, afterwards from many of the people. Thank you, thank you for coming. We thought we had been forgotten. Wow. They didn't care wow. about whether you brought rice or whatever. We mm -hmm. thought, so the power of the presence 
ministry of presence is so strong. We thought we had been forgotten. Mm. Wow. So that just is an example. I saw them turn their churches into their sanctuary and they worship outside, but the churches were taking care of starving babies with arms that big Mm -hmm. that were dying. The mothers didn't have breast milk. Oh, we'll turn this into so these Mm -hmm. babies can live. 99% actually lived and the mothers did. Um, So that's, that's, uh, and then, and and that was the gospel lived out. And people coming to Jesus because uh, this is a 60% Muslim country. And they were seeing this lived out and they, they were coming. My goodness, this is what Jesus is, you know. Right. What a beautiful story and how profound. You know, I've said so often, if it's not Christ for the whole world, it's not Christ for any of it. That's exactly I think right. stories, yeah, stories like the one you just shared, that's, uh, we need those stories to remind us that yeah. that, that the, the, the gospel, the gospel that we pronounce has to fit in every context that's exactly right and it does right yes right yes yeah mm-hmm. um so i want to shift gears just a little bit and talk for a minute about leadership because i heard a little snippet that you oh. recorded i don't even i don't even know where i found it but it, um you made a statement this little recording you can empower them and, and this is about leadership mm-hmm. uh you, you said you can empower them but you can also abandon them yes yes, yes. and when I heard that, something really resonated with me. I, I, I think we are way too quick to anoint people for leadership, and then we walk away from them very quickly when something goes on. So is that what you mean? And 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 if it is what you mean, what does it look like to steward a leader? And that's your term, actually, from that yeah. s- same snippet. That's exactly right, Carolyn. I think um, you know there there are ways in which we empower people. And one, we just say, we empower people and abandon them, abandon them, or we empower people to still stay on top of them and try to, to micromanage them. <laughs> so those are the two extremes. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I think uh, that, that the, but the abandoned one, I think is we do that, we just say, oh, well, they'll be okay. And then we kind of are proud of ourselves. See, I don't need to tell them what to do. But, uh, but, but there's, a, there's a midway in here that we walk with people in that process. Um, mm. And then when you said steward, I really I really believe in, uh, we, we can look at all, you know, we've got transactional leadership, uh, uh, transformational leadership, servant leadership, et cetera. But Scott Rodin is the one I like so much. He's written about steward leadership, stewarding our leadership. Mm-hmm. And so there, we're gonna have different styles at different times for different occasions or whatever. But how do we steward our leadership? And I think that is really goes along with when we work with people and we empower them, then we steward uh, our leadership with them. But uh, but in a sense, keep it, moving it in the direction that they the, of the vision. I mean, right. if we're working with leaders all together, for example, as you are, uh, everybody is going in the same direction in a different lane, maybe. Mm-hmm but moving in the same direction. And otherwise, if we don't keep people moving toward the vision, then uh, we start getting side lanes uh, and that's hard. So I think that's that's what I mean by stewarding, not on top, but steward. I remember one person that was with me said, I really love working with you. Uh, and he said, because you really give me freedom to lead. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I'm, he said, I can tell 
when I get off the track someplace, you're there to let get me back on. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that's that's not abandoning, but steward. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to take that and and really talk for a minute about uh, stewarding women's leadership or yeah. women in leadership. Um, uh, you and I, that's that's where you and I have really right. been in the same rooms is when mm-hmm. uh, with the Wesleyan Holiness Women's Conference mm-hmm. um, and that amazing, I, I have to tell you, the first time I walked in that room, this that was right before COVID was the first time I ever went to that conference oh, uh-huh. because my, my tribe doesn't go sadly we're, we got to change that but um but to see four or five hundred female pastors mm-hmm. i mean i just like people think we don't exist but yeah. but there was this room full of female pastors how beautiful that was and and um and they're they're you know that's I, i'm just going to make a broad assumption but i but i bet i'm not too far off to say that if there's Four or five hundred women pastors in a room. There's four or five hundred people who are starving for mentors, for coaches, and for door openers. Right? Exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so how? What would you say first um, to a a female spiritual leader um, around this idea you can empower them but you can also abandon them mm-hmm. um how, how do, I, I want to think about the female spiritual leader how how did what does she need to seek out in order to be to uh to best feel empowered mm-hmm. what does she need to go after because I, I you know i i think too often we sit back passively and hope somebody's going to do this to us <laughs> right exactly and i think also we don't necessarily need females to coaches males can do that as well absolutely but and, I, I, want to, I want to make that the second half of my question oh, i see yeah. okay mm-hmm. uh, and uh, i think uh i think those of us who are older really need to look at our young women so for example i happen to do i don't do that much anymore but a few weeks ago i did an ordination service in south carolina and uh, ordained the i think i ordained six there but of the six four were women oh wow right after that uh, one of my friends that I a colleague of mine had worked together for years came up and he he knew that he knew the women and two of the women in particular he said you need to co- stay in contact with Joanne as you move forward and they have I mean I said well here's my cell phone number you know <laughs> I have a couple of things you have to do we have to you have to have come with questions you got to know what you're here to talk about and uh, you just text me and we'll set up a time and then that's up to them. Right. I'm not going to ch- chase them around. Right. Uh, and so I have several of them that I just do that with. Uh, and, and that was fascinating because I probably wouldn't have reached out because I didn't know them. I probably would not have reached out and said, oh, well, you know, content. But someone else came along and said that. So I think that's where we need people that know somebody else, connects them with some of us. And then uh, because already the first young woman I've talked with, I understood totally. You know, there are some blind spots. Yeah. And I was help helped her to see some through some blind spots in in some of the relationships yeah. uh, that she doesn't get off. <clears throat> excuse me. She doesn't get off the track on some of the the uh, pieces that she could. So I I think that I think it's really uh, I I think they're organized in a way, but sometimes I've seen where they've been formally organized, then is not matched well. 
Right, right. Don't I, want, there are some people that don't want it, you know. Right, right. I totally agree. I think the organic approach is yeah. is, is important. And, and um, I, I, you know, I think I would encourage a woman right now to not to go looking for the rock star so much, you know, right. the, the yeah. Joanne Lyon so much as the, as the, just, just go looking for somebody, ask people, who do you know? Who do yeah, you know? Right. Exactly. And, and um, start making calls until you find somebody who has that click uh, right. right in the place where you're where you're hungry to be empowered That's you right. know and maybe on yeah. a learning curve there now mm -hmm. now i want to talk about men because i completely agree with you that um men men and women are in partnership and right, need exactly. to learn how to mentor each other mm -hmm. um I, I think that there's a word here, uh, maybe a prophetic word, and you can empower them, but you can also abandon them. That that might be a word for men, a, a yeah. not so gentle word for men. Don't yeah, right. don't uh, don't don't uh, affirm women in leadership, but then abandon them when it comes time to be mentored or, or to That's mentor right. or to open doors. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I, I I totally agree, and um, we have to get get through some of the billy graham rule stuff that's and, it <laughs> thank and, you for saying that because yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh because uh that that is that has hindered many women uh and so i actually i wrote a piece about it um a couple of articles about it uh and just out of my own context uh of men early on in my life who didn't know about the billy graham rule you know <laughs> and mm -hmm. so so mm -hmm. and they were they were older men, they were older leaders. And I would just, I remember one man in particular who was leader in, the, in our denomination. And I was on a board of a children's home down in Georgia. Uh, and he was the chair of that board. So, and he was a, a leader in the in the church, in the denomination. Uh, so he knew, you know, was at a higher level of leadership than certainly I was by any means. And he would pick me up at the airport in Atlanta. We would ride to Macon together. No one thought about that was bad or anything else. And, uh, and in that time, I would just pepper him with questions, pepper him with questions, pepper him with questions. Uh, if you did this, how would you work this? And, I, you know, I never, but part of the thing, Carolyn, I think in all of this, there is, when we talk about the Billy Graham rule and all that, there are uh, visible boundaries and invisible boundaries. So these visible boundaries, mm. ride the car with a woman, you can't um, go to lunch with a woman, you can't do this. Those are all the visible boundaries. But in some of the work that I've done in some of these issues, I have found that you can do all of those, but but there are the invisible boundaries. And those invisible boundaries are that you are colleagues. You don't, there's no sexualizing of each other. And you don't share your personal intimate concerns with that, that male mentor or that female mentor. I mean, it's it's a line that you, you you go go share that with your counselor, or go share that with your your accountability partner, or whatever. A mentoring relationship is not an accountability relationship. Mm -hmm. Exactly, it's a colleague. You're you're learning the learning the trade, so to speak. You're learning the craft, so to speak. That's what what that is, and I think that needs to be always. And so the invisible boundaries are. Then when you break those invisible boundaries with the male, then the power differentials happen. Mm. Right. When you start in saying, oh, I'm having so much trouble. Either way, the male or the female, my wife or my husband or 
I'm having trouble at home and da, da, da. bingo, the power differentials then take place. Right. Wow. When, when you stay in the lane of what you're there for your profession, you want to grow in Christ, you want to grow in that profession to be a better pastor, leader, whatever, then that's how it happens. Yeah, you're you're dead on it. You're dead on it because it's it's the heart. I mean, now you're preaching yeah. the gospel. It's, that's it's, right. It's not the outside yeah. of the cup. It's the inside that's of the cup. That's exactly right. So, mm-hmm. so tend to the inside of your cup. And if you're too afraid of the inside of your cup mm-hmm. to, to have a professional relationship right. that's collegial, you need to deal with the inside of your cup, not the outside. You have got it right. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so I go back. So, I mean, I learned, so I've looked at him. We didn't even, in those days, didn't even use the word mentor. I just learned a lot from him, you know. And mm-hmm. then I had two or three other men that I worked with in various places. And, and, and I mean, I would have never known what I did later, what I've done later, had it not been for them because I learned, you know. Right. Uh, and so, yes, so men, men can be men. And, and, you know, they were willing to teach me, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're yep. all of yeah, they've all, and one, uh, actually one who was one of my mentors, you probably know, is uh, Melvin Dieter. Yes. The provost at, at Asbury. Oh, my goodness. He was a great mentor to me. And uh, I learned so much from him. Uh, and and then, of course, he invited me to come down as an adjunct at Asbury. But even before then, uh, we were in various other meetings together. And I would just literally, you know, we would, and we traveled places together and whatever. He was at, at the headquarters here. And I just learned from him, you know, so. Yeah, I think that's so good. I spoke, I'm just thinking through a few things. One, this will all tie in. I spoke yesterday to our our staff and um, at, a, at a chapel, which we have a school associated. So it was, you know, one of those times where everybody is together. Yeah. And uh, I spoke on Second uh, Timothy 2.1, where Paul tells Timothy this, to stand strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, sh- I shared about how um, in Nashville for the last seven or six and a half years, for the last for the fi- last five of those years, there was a retired Methodist pastor, and Carolyn's heard me talk about him, who we went to we went to lunch once a month. I'd send him questions and and he mentored me, became like a spiritual father, and and a lot of the reasons I've done things and and the grace that I'm standing in now is because of what he poured into me. Yeah. And so so I say all of that to say the, the number of men and women that I had come up after um, after the session yesterday, after the chapel, um, and this morning, even in the I mean, real-time conversations, going, how do you find somebody? Mm-hmm. How did you get that person? How did you, you know? And so I think you're completely right, Joanne. It's like, if you're the person, if you're the, if you're the person needing the mentor, it's on you to go looking. That's right. It's on you to go looking. It's on you to go knock on doors. But here's the other thing that I kept hearing and I kept having to like correct them to go. The person you're looking for doesn't have to be everything you're looking for. That's right. Like identify that as a, if you're a preacher, I need help preaching. Who is the person yeah. that I want to go to for preaching? That might not be the person I need mentoring in finance and in right. o- overseeing the church and HR in a church or family right. dispute or whatever. And so... It was really interesting. Most of the people I talked to yesterday all had this comment. I just can't find the person that has all these things that I'm looking for. And I was like, well, quit looking for seven different people in one person. Look for one person that you can get the one thing you need from them and be deliberate and be asking. And uh, Carolyn will tell you, I have no problem knocking on a door and getting told no. 
Yeah, you know, like, the what's the what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to say no. Okay, great. At least I tried, but I got a lot of doors opened. Yeah, um, and it doesn't mean you're going to be with that person forever. No, you know, exactly. It, it's for, and I think that's where we get mixed up too. Yeah, that's oh, a good point. I, I got no, 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 no. You can, you know, we can do this for season. You've got it. Yep. Then there's another place to do it. Another, another person. And so yeah. I think, I think uh, that needs to be understood in this mm-hmm. whole, yeah. whole yeah. part yeah. as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking through last year. I, I went through a season of discernment, heavy discernment on a call and what was next in life. Yeah. And one of the first people I called was Rika McCoy and, you yeah. know, like beautiful woman in the faith, preacher, teacher. Yeah. She's a, she's an optometrist. Like I didn't need yeah. help with, you know, like I needed help for her. So anyway, so when you look at the next generation of Christ followers that are now emerging as young adults, and we have this clear kind of differentiation, you know, um, when I came into ministry 13 years ago, it was all about the millennials. Well, the oldest millennial now is like 41, 42, you know, right. and so they're, they're, I, don't, I don't I don't quite call them old, uh, but they got some of them have 20 years of experience. Yeah, right. So some millennials are 28 years old, 27, 28 years old to 40. 41 and then you've got this this gen z that is that is under them and then alpha and then beta under them so that's another thing so but in this millennials but i'd really love for you to speak into gen z um what are you seeing emerging in them uh what are they saying to the evangelical church and what are they hungry for we've talked a little bit about that with the authenticity well i think i'm kind of excited about the gen z's because i think there i think if anyone can merge uh, the gospel and action together it's them because that's what they're mm-hmm. passionate about now i think this is where we need to really keep it in balance um that uh that this they they, they can't they can't change the world as you know with uh, john wesley's and we have to always have to take a look at john wesley spreading scriptural holiness to reform a nation it was the holiness and the reformation reforming something together mm. it, it wasn't bifurcated and so this is i think they have this great passion to see goodness take place to see uh the love of god expressed in so many ways um so i i have great um actually i do have great hope for them it's fascinating i listened recently to a just a little three minute um clip from david brooks you know the new york times columnist and so forth and in this he talked about he in a way he, he literally actually talked about his conversion but he said you know for years and years and years i spoke at christian colleges all over the country i was an atheist you know, i was an atheist the whole time but he said there's something that i could never get away from when i was there mm-hmm. there was something that i didn't have and he said it just kept drawing me and drawing me and drawing me all these years and he said and i finally became a christ follower wow and he said i teach at yale right now and that's what they're hungry for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wow and i thought i mean that clip is so amazing i've gone back over it several times and it's just it, it, the title is what people are hungry what the world is hungry for is what he talked about mm-hmm. and, and i just thought we forget as followers of jesus what comes out of us that we don't even know mm-hmm. yeah right and then as as um 
you know, we there's that pervenient grace and uh, drawing people too, uh, to that. Uh, and so when he said, and I thought he said, this, and my students at Yale, this is what they're hungry for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so I think this is such a great day that we have. And so I, I do believe I have great hope for Gen Z uh, yeah. because that's what they're hungry for. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, yeah. and as they come to Christ and as they begin to live it out, who knows what could happen? Yeah, I think when you talked about, you know, when you talked about your trip and going into the camp and going into the bush uh-huh. and, the, and the faith of those people, you know, it. I see Gen, I have a lot of hope in, in Gen Z as well. And I think one of the re- main reasons that I have so much hope in them is because at such an early age, comparative to the generations, and I could be missing this, but comparative to the generations that have come before them in the Americanized Christianity bubbles right. that we live in, they've been the ones persecuted early. Mm-hmm. Like they are actually having to answer some hard questions. They're the ones that... Um, or taking it on the chin, you know, mm-hmm. to be bold, like to, to say you're a Christian at 20, evangelical right. Christian at 21 in 2022 versus saying that in 1970, yeah. it's, 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 it's not even the same. And yeah. so as far as what culturally is pushed on you, mm-hmm. and so the faith and the deep roots that they're holding on to, right. I don't see them in 20 years having this whole deconstruction and never yeah. reconstruction movement right. that's happened with with millennials and boomers. And so um, so beyond technology, obviously, they're gifted in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but what is this generation most gifted? And maybe we just talked about it, but most gifted to bring to the Christian conversation. And what should we as the generation above them? Mm-hmm. Maybe one, two, three, four, whatever it is, be listening for. Well, I don't think they want to be an audience. Come on. Uh, they want to be the actors. Um, and uh, so I think that how we do church is going to have to be far more involved uh, mm. and and not just sit in, in an audience. Uh, so there has to be uh, this, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the participatory, the participation, constant mm-hmm. participation, mm-hmm. and also uh, in a in and and I mean I go back, I remember way back in uh, the seventies there was the Church of the Savior in Washington D.C. and uh, does that sound familiar to you? Do you know oh, that? oh, uh, they're they're my model. They're Gordon okay. Cosby. I've yes. read every one of Elizabeth O'Connor's exactly. books. And we I should have talk- started here. <laughs> yes. uh, and uh, that's what I see, you know, when they would, mm. at the end of the service, because I've been there, I was been, been there and et cetera. And, uh, at the end of the service, they sound the call. And so the sound of the call was, what is someone, okay, someone's, what is God calling you to do? You know, so somebody says, well, I'm called to go. This, I remember one group was a terrible children's home kind of thing in D.C., I'm called to that. So, okay, you, Mary, go back in that corner. And anybody that feels called to that, go stand there. Go talk about it. Then you had to mm. pray for together for a long time. And then then some people dropped out because they didn't want to do that. And then ultimately, and, and I think we're, I think that, I think that reminds me of the Gen Z people. Uh, of here wow. is the mission. Yeah. And, uh, but it isn't just, oh, today I'm going to go do this. But mm-hmm. it had links to it. It mm-hmm. was praying. It was uh, 
having God's call with it. It was all of that. That's what I think. Yeah, Caroline, I, I, I don't meet, I don't meet many people these days who remembered Gordon and, and Mary Cosby, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, uh, when I was at Asbury, I went looking for where church was happening, authentic church. And uh -huh. I called all over the country. I just came kind of obsessed and, and over and over people pointed me to the church of the savior. Yeah. So we, my husband and I ended up going there and, um, uh, as, what we have here in the suburban south is not even close to what they had there, but it's very much my inspiration. Oh, the idea of having uh, a, a community, a missional community that right. is as much yeah. mission as it is worship. Yeah. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very moved by their work. And, and, you know, the Church of the Savior, they never had more than about 150 no, members. No. They were in that, they, that Victorian mansion on Embassy Row. Right, right. But their influence was remarkable. Saddleback mm -hmm. can uh, put his, its small group movement that yeah. flows back there. And um, uh, even um, uh, Andy Stanley, he, he, he read some of their stuff yeah. and just um, what an incredible influence and an organic and slow moving and yeah. attentive to the spirit. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm I am so encouraged that the the age of the big box rapid growth church is mm -hmm. maybe behind this. I mean, yeah. of course, there's some churches that's going to do that. The Lord could do what the Lord wants to do, yeah, right. and I'm not yeah. here to judge that. But but the but the idea of the missional community right. is really m moving to the forefront and. Um, and, and and I've been sitting here waiting for it <laughs> for 20 years. And Mark Hatfield, who was a very influential senator back in the day, came out of that. Wow. Yeah, really? Yeah, the church wow. is yes, that's uh, okay. what changed him totally as, as a, you know, he was just a plain old power grabbing politician and started going uh -huh. and just totally transformed his life. Wow. So, well, hold on. I want, to, I want to give Joanne just a, just a, a peek really quick because you just gave language to what we have felt here. This for the younger adults or for the young adults for the for the Gen Z. This audience uh, they don't want to be the audience. They want to be the actors. We are at a camp, five six hundred of our kids, um, and at the end of, at the end of one of the nights. And so this is camp, right? Like we get camps a little different than Sunday morning. Um, yeah, really. But we right. But we ask the students to stand up and get in groups of three, pray over each other, mm -hmm. and to be vulnerable um, and authentic. But you didn't have to share your deepest thing. But whatever right. you were vulnerable, but to be authentic. And we planned for like ten minutes. It went on for over an hour and a half. Wow. Um, and and then we said, and then we said, okay, like obviously we felt the move of God, and and you know Mark Swayze. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Mark Swayze's on the team with us and that's how I'm here. And so me and Mark are leading these moments and we said, okay, if, if you need to repent from something, then, then ask those around you. And if the person, and this is what we didn't see happening or didn't see like coming, but what we started seeing was kids in the room that had wronged other kids in the room began to go to them and ask for repentance, wow. not to their leader to confess a sin. They yeah. went to the one they had wronged. And so that's that spilled over to a Sunday morning gathering later this year where, you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of adults got it, heard about that. And then we got in the same thing and saw them do it. And it was out of that 
we didn't have the language. I'm really excited right now. Obviously, I'm kind of passionate <laughs> about this, but but oh, I firmly but I firmly believe that you're 100 percent right, and and you gave language to what we saw a few weeks ago. Oh, that's great. Here's that. That's what I really, I really believe in. Exactly what you just expressed is what what is what what will is going to happen. And in a sense, this is where we need to set them free, mm-hmm. right? To be who they are, right? This. And they need to guide. I mean, you need the steward. You need the steward there. You need the spiritual mothers and fathers in that in that room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. So let's take this as our as our jumping off point for one last question. Um, Because you are globally connected Mm -hmm. um, and and deeply connected in so many places, where do you see the spirit moving? You know, God is moving in really interesting places, and. And I don't know quite how to articulate or how to define this, I guess I should say. But, uh, you know, we think of two countries where God's not present is Iran. And, and as you know, there's a great underground movement going on in Iran right now. But I was invited a few years ago, in fact, two different times, to meet with Iranian religious leaders. Now, that was Ayatollahs and and whatever, and they would be people not aligned with the supreme leader. I mean, they care more about the people, etc. So uh, politics—that's not the politics. But how do we do this? So this was a, what was called Abrahamic dialogue. So I went to Geneva. I went to Luzon first, and then the second time to Geneva. And so these were all the the, the ayatollahs and clerics and whatever in the room. And they asked me to speak about how Wesleyans believe and practice the words of Jesus in caring for the least of these. Now, this is also uh, done through the Nobel Peace Prize people in, in um, Oslo. Mm-hmm. And so when someone asked me, I said, Wesleyan, don't you just mean, I mean, you know, Wesleyan, we're really <laughs> way down the totem pole here, or way out here, I don't know how to describe it, far, far from Shia Muslims, you know. <laughs> and um, he said, no, why don't you talk about Wesleyans? Okay, so I did. And so I talked about the scripture and what Jesus said. I also compared it to an Old Testament text. And uh, then I talked about John Wesley, how John Wesley cared for the poorest of the poor. And then I talked a little bit about, and then I told a story of my first time to be hit in the face with caring for the least of these was in a famine in Ethiopia. Wow. And, um, and when I finished, one of the leading Ayatollahs came up to me and he said, I don't know how to express this, but I thought I was going to cry while you were talking. Now I read a paper. I didn't. I wasn't spontaneous like today. I read a paper, like an academic paper, and I thought then this is the Holy Spirit moving in His heart. Oh, wow! You know, you you, yeah. you don't you. There was no other other explanation for it. Mm-hmm. So I I I just have to say this. So then, this May, the second week in May. I was invited to Saudi Arabia to Riyadh for the first ever multi-faith conference on the soil of Saudi Arabia. And I was invited, there were 70 people invited, and I was invited to share about Jesus and the values of Jesus that brings to a society. And, um, and it was, it was, I mean, and, and there were other, you know, there were other Muslims there and various types and then Jews and, um, and, and Catholics and Christians and even a couple of evangelicals and mainline and Catholic, et cetera. But it was interesting to me, uh, 
just the spirit. And I, and I did talk to Sam Brownback, who was previously the International Religious Freedom Ambassador at the State Department while I was there. And I said, Sam, is this a really big deal or what is it? He's, oh my goodness. And he's a believer. He said, I would have never missed this. This is a historic occasion for this to happen on this soil. Wow. Now, who would ever think that? But the most exciting thing was, uh, I was with someone who wore a great big cross around their neck. And uh, when we went into the restaurants at the hotel to eat, suddenly all the people that are the workers there, like the Filipinos and the Indonesians and all that just came out from the woodwork and said, the cross, the cross. Oh, we need to tell you about our underground church we have going here. Wow. <laughs> Come on. And they said, and then we were, you know, where I was, we bowed our head and prayed and whatever. And he said, you can't believe this. This conference has empowered us. Wow. And I thought then, this isn't this like God. I mean, he, Jesus always with the marginalized. And here are the marginalized in Saudi Arabia, underground, mm-hmm. having their, yeah. their services and whatever. And suddenly now here's the big guys coming in at a conference in, a, in, in the Ritz Carlton Hotel, no less, uh, and wearing crosses, you know. Yeah. Now, I don't yeah. know how to define all of that, except yeah. God is at work. Amen. In some of the places we never thought he was. Yeah. Uh, or uh, just, again, I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm not a prophet enough to put it all together, except just God's at work. Yeah. yeah. So and don't lose hope. Yeah. Don't lose hope. In the Think- most difficult places. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I know we are dealing with our own stuff here in the United States, and it feels, it feels in a way more impossible than that but that's that was pretty impossible a few years ago if you mentioned jesus name in saudi arabia bingo your head got off you know so um so i know that in the in some of the things we're dealing with here and the different um issues in within and without the church and all that but i just i i look at that and i think okay god's in this too amen god's in this crazy stuff that we're all trying to figure out he is there and he's bringing about a remnant uh and it may not be big remnant, but he's bringing about a remnant of his that will will bring about his kingdom. Amen. 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 Joanne well, Lyons, you. thank you so much. You have, we've covered so much and <laughs> the strong sense that we probably have to get together another time and talk about all the things about the Church of the Savior. I'm, yeah, Real that sounds man. great. I love. Yeah. It. I haven't met anyone for a long time. Who, I know. <laughs> and, and I might add one more thing. Some of those ayatollahs that I met the first time, I would get emails from them. I'm on my way to Iraq. Can you pray for me? You know. Wow. And uh, wow. Or Morocco or whatever. Yeah, and I still hear from them. Uh, wow. So you know, it's just it's who knows how the spirit moves is all I mean. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. And, and it wasn't about moving. me. It's about the power of Jesus in that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I pray this was a blessing to you. Oh, it's a blessing, blessing to all of us. And uh, we look forward to it. And uh, thank you so much. Blessings to you. Thank you. My great honor to be with you, Carolyn and Pierce, and your great audience. God bless you all. I really loved the, my, our conversation with her specifically around that term evangelical, because I really do think the word has come under fire in recent years and that the future of evangelical of the, of the evangelical movement is bright in mm-hmm. fact um but it but it depends on getting 
the uh, uh, the right understanding of evangelical. It's not a political term. Yeah. Um, it's never wasn't meant to have political connotations. It's really about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think there are terms in the church world that maybe we hold on to that it really it really doesn't matter if we hold on to it. Let me give you an example. I really don't think it matters if we call the hour before worship that when you gather together in a classroom that you have to call that Sunday school, right? Like that's right. not a term. Like if you want to call it something else, call it something else, right? right. Like, it doesn't matter. But there are some terms and there is some doctrine that we need to hold on to. Yeah. And, and this is one of those words um, that carries a lot of meaning. And so I do think we need to carry it with an understanding of the cultural times that we live in, how it's being used in culture, but not to throw it out because, you know, what's the phrase? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. So like, That's right. So to, to not to rebrand it because it's not needing rebranding because you can't rebrand the good news of Jesus, mm-hmm. but but bringing us back to its core, reminding us what that word really means, who it's for, what it's about, that is worth preserving and pushing forward to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got to tell you, I mean, finding out that I had a fellow fan of the Church of the Savior, Mm -hmm. um, just what a great part of that conversation, just to discover that treasure. Um, It is such a, that, that, speaking of, 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 um, settled things that need to be reclaimed and brought into our generation and re you know re not repurposed but really polished off mm-hmm. and understood the 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 church of the savior is a model for this generation of missional community and it deserves a fresh look so if you haven't ever looked up the church of the savior I just I just encourage you to Google Elizabeth O'Connor or go on Amazon, look for her books, Elizabeth O'Connor. Any book that Elizabeth O'Connor wrote was uh, basically talking about the model of the Church of the Savior. And it's really a beautiful expression, early expression of missional community. They were doing it before it was cool. And how cool to hear that uh, Dr. Lyon gets it. Um, so, yeah, so many that. beautiful things to, in that conversation with her and, um, just so grateful for her witness among women and in the, in the global church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you all for being with us today as we dove into another conversation and look forward to another conversation. We're going to kind of hit the road going as we gear up to new room. If you haven't signed up for new room, there is still space So newroomconference.com, check it out. September 21st through the 23rd this year. Carolyn, you're leading a pre-conference session. Yes, uh, I'm leading a pre-conference session on When Women Lead. I love it. So, But anybody's welcome to join. They first did this last year, and it was just for the women who were part of a program that Asbury had. This year, it's opened up to anyone, men and women, who want to come. So come and join us. We hope to see you there, and we'll see you back next week on the Art of Holiness podcast. Be blessed. Be blessed.